Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Leviticus chapter 14. Leviticus chapter 14. In the uh, 13th chapter, we had the uh, uh, leprosy described and uh, a lot of things about it. We found basically the leper there. But in this 14th chapter, you have the rites and sacrifices in the cleansing of the leper. And so we'll have uh, uh, that information as we study this 14th chapter. Uh, I think that I pointed out in our first lesson, I don't know if it's the first one or, or one of the lessons, probably it was last week I believe, uh, in the 13th chapter, I'll give you four verses. In the 13th chapter, verse 9, it says, When the plague of leprosy is in a man... Now, notice that one. That's in a man. And then also in the 13th chapter, verse 47, you'll find it's in a garment. It says the garment also that the plague of leprosy is in. And it tells whether it be woolen or sewn. And that's uh, the 13th chapter, verse 47. And then in the uh, uh, 14th chapter, you'll have uh, in verse... 34, it says, and, uh, and, the plague, and put the plague, this is the last part of it, of leprosy in a house of the land of your possessions. So it could be in a person, it could be in a garments, it could be in the house. And I think I gave you that in our last lesson. Now then, in this uh, 14th chapter, we find that outside the camp is a place of the moral distance from God, it signifies a place. It, it's actually a place, literally, for the leper to be. So let's read in the 14th chapter uh, some verses. <clears throat> it says in verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest, and the priest shall go forth out of the camp. So the leper is, is out of the camp. And the priest shall look, and behold, if the plague of leprosy be uh, healed in the leper, then shall the priest command to take for him, that is to be cleansed, two birds alive and clean, and cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds uh, be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall uh, take it in the cedar wood and scarlet and the hyssop, and shall dip them in the living living bird and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose into the open field. Now then, you see the two birds here. One represents death. It was killed. The other was represents resurrection as the bird was let loose in, in the open field. But by virtue of the blood, the uh, one that was let loose in the open field, symbolical of Christ's death and resurrection, He shed His blood on the cross and, and He, of course, uh, was rose again the third day. Uh, I don't know just how much of this I should read, but uh, there's so much 
that we uh, need to comment on, but let's go on down and read in verse 8. And he that is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and wash himself in water that uh, he may be clean. And after that, he shall come into the camp after being cleansed and shall tarry abroad out of his tent seven days. He'd come into the camp, but he uh, would tarry uh, out of his tent seven days. But it shall be on the seventh day that he shall shave all his hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows, even all his hair he shall shave off, and he shall wash his clothes, and he shall wash his flesh in water, and he shall be clean. So it's just kind of a ceremonial cleansing that he had to go through. And the priest gets involved in some of these things. Verse 10, And on the eighth day he shall take two lambs, two he lambs without blemish, and one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, and three-tenths deals of fine flour for a meat offering. Remember we studied the meat offerings and the trespass offering, the peace offerings, and all these offerings. So at, at this time he shall offer a meat offering. Uh, mingled with all and one log of all. And the priest that maketh them clean shall present the man that is to be made clean uh, and those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. The priest shall take one he lamb and offer him for a trespass offering. Now here you have uh, not only a meat offering, but a trespass offering. And the log of oil and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall slay the lamb in the place where he shall kill the sin offering. Now, you come into the sin offering. See, we've had the meat offering, the, the trespass offering, and now the sin offering in the few verses that we just read. And the burnt offering. Here's the other one. In the holy place, for as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it upon the tip of, of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. We'll get into the significance of all this anointing, uh, this uh, blood that is to put, be put on the ear and the uh, thumb and the right toe. The, I'm not just mentioning it and then we'll have more to say about it, but the ear sanctifies the hearing. So we need our hearing to be sanctified as well. And then the, right, the thumb of the right hand signifies what we do, our works, what we serve, how we serve. And then the right foot indicates our walk. So what we hear and what we do and how we how we walk in life is all uh, God is concerned about all of that, and it's very important that we realize that the man that is cleansed, this leper that's cleansed, we've told you before that leprosy is a type of sin, and it doesn't mean leprosy is sin, but it means leprosy is a type of sin, as it was a horrible disease and an incurable disease. And God had to intervene and bring the cure. The priest had the functions of doing what God had commanded them to do. But on the other hand, it was seemed like it was a, a divine cure. Remember Naaman, Naaman the leper in Second Kings chapter 5? And where he had all the things going for him, but he was a leper. He had everything going for him, but he was a leper. 
And of course, when finally he was told to go and dip himself seven times in the Jordan, and uh, that he didn't want to do that, and his servant said, well, Master, if, if the man of God had told you to do some great thing, you would have done it. But he says, now he's just told you to simply go and dip in Jordan, and you refuse to do it. And finally it says, and he went down. He went down in humility, and, he, and then he went down into the Jordan, and he did what he was supposed to do, and he came out cleansed. But anyway, that's a whole other sermon. But let's get into this now. Uh, we uh, find that all of these things are mentioned on down as we read in uh, verse 16. Did we read verse 16? No, we didn't, did we? Huh? Okay. Let's read verse 16. And the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand. Now, <coughs> not only the blood, but now the oil. <coughs> the blood is symbolical of Christ's shed blood that provides cleansing. And the oil is symbolical of the Holy Spirit. He's dip his right finger in the oil that is in his, his left hand and sprinkle of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And the rest of the oil that is in his hand shall the priest put upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed and upon the thumb of his right hand and upon the great toe of his right foot upon the, upon the blood of the trespass offering. And the remnant of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall pour upon the head of him that is to be cleansed and the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord. And then verse 19, it says that talks about the sin offering, the last part, the burnt offering, and so on and so forth. Uh, verse 21, if he be poor and cannot get so much, get so much, then he shall take one lamb for a trespass offering to be waived uh, to make an atonement for him, and one tenth deal of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, and offer a log of oil, and two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, uh, it says such as he is able to get. So there was provision in all these offerings and sacrifices for the poorest of the poor. Isn't it amazing that God has provided, and all this is symbolical, the cleansing and the atonement and the offering, sin offering, trespass offering, and peace offering that comes through what Jesus did for us on the cross. In knowing this, knowing that Jesus on the cross provided for even the poorest of the poor, as well as the middle class and the upper class, the upper crust we call them. Dr. Lakin at one time was preaching on uh, <clears throat> a sermon talking about the, the upper crust, you know, of people. And he said, yes, but he says, if you make a big... Uh, apricot cobbler. He says uh, that crust is on top and you want to dig down to where that good stuff is. <laughs> to the lower. But anyway, that's another story. Well, I just wanted you to see that there are classes of people but God has provided for all of them. And remember when we studied the book of Exodus and they were to give their, their uh, uh, shekels of silver for their uh, offerings for redemption money? And it says, "The rich shall not give poor uh, more, nor the uh, nor the poor give less." Each was was on an equal basis. And when we offer, remember when we offer Christ, 
as our sacrifice or we accept Him as our sacrifice, this is all the rich man can do and this is all that's needed for the poor man to do. See, we're all on the same level when it comes to salvation. I mean, God is no respecter of persons. Well, let me get into something. We won't read any more. There's so much to read here. Uh, I did point out that verse 34 talks about the plague of leprosy being in the house uh, in the 34th verse. So we've studied it somewhat. But let's go back and, and pick up with some of these thoughts. Now remember, outside the camp, that's what we read in the early verses, is a place of moral distance from God. When a person is outside the camp, he's away from God. And this leper, he dwelt in a dreary solitude of uncleanness. Wouldn't it be awful to rest in your solitude of uncleanness outside of the family of God, outside of the blessings of God? That's where people are morally and spiritually until they accept Christ. Remember, Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that are poor are paupers in spirit. Why would they be blessed? Because in the next statement, He says, Blessed are they that do mourn. It leads to That poverty of spirit leads to mourning. And then you have right on down the in the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel when it gives us the Beatitudes, uh, a link of chain and one attaches to the other. Look in Matthew 5 and I'll try to briefly give you that. Matthew chapter 5, if you will, quickly. I'll show you the links that we find here. It says, in verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it cause them to do? That's humiliation. And it says, Blessed are they that mourn. It leads to mourning, for they shall be comforted. And then it says, Blessed are the meek. Meek brings us to self-control. Meekness. Remember, Moses was meek of all the men of the earth. And so, in doing so, by the way, it doesn't say is weak. Meekness is not weakness. But meekness is power under control. <laughs> and so, Moses had that. He had power, but he was, he was under control. And there's a proverb that says, May I'm really straying now. There's a proverb that says that the man that can rule his own spirit is mightier than he that takes the city. So, a man that's in control of his own spirit is better than a conqueror. One that conquers cities. So anyway, then it says, uh, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's the natural sequence of having holy desire out of uh, being, first of all, poor in spirit and then mourning over your condition and then uh, being meek. And then holy desire is hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And then enlargement. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Remember how we've talked about being merciful to others and you'll obtain mercy. Some people say, well, you know, they don't treat me with any sympathy or compassion. How do you treat other folks? It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. 
I mean, that's a pretty good rule to go by when you when you're having a lot of sickness and problems. Because you see, some of these folks that uh, think that they're above it, one of these days it's going to be their their turn. Have you ever thought about that? One of these days it'll be their turn. I remember a comment Brother Donahoe made one time. He says, well, you know, he's going to get old too sometime. And I won't go into the details. But anyway, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart. They shall see God. And then it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Verse 12, Rejoice! What? Under persecution? For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You see, this opposition, this opposition that you may receive in the world, and if people that were opposing you and causing you all these problems knew what your reward was, they'd probably quit. You know that? Because the Lord says, when they do this, they don't realize that they're making great your rewards in heaven. So you just put up with it, and someday there will be a rewarding day, a crowning day for all that. And thank God that we can depend upon His Word to stand for every word of God is pure and He's a shield to them that put their trust in Him. Well, I'll give you that whole thing one of these days of these links of a chain. And if you've noticed, they, they connect one with the other. And they're like runs of a ladder that you start at the bottom. Poverty in spirit. And then uh, mourning. And then the third one. The meek, meekness, and then the fourth one, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and right on up the ladder till you reach the top. And they're in that sequence. So remember that when you study that. Let me get back to this. Uh, we were in Leviticus chapter 14. Now, the leper, we've read several verses, and so I won't go back and recap the verses. <clears throat> Uh, actually, he was outside the camp. He was in a place of moral distance. He dwelt in a solitary uh, place of uncleanness. He was beyond the reach of human aid. All he could do was to communicate defilement to everyone and everything that he touched. And when we're a leper, a sinner, outright, all we do is contaminate other people. Not only do we have the disease ourselves or the uncleanness ourselves, but where we go, we spread that. Very contagious. Remember I told you there's three words that you get leprosy. One is by inheritance. You could inherit leprosy. And then the second way is by uh, uncleanness. And the third way is by evil associations. Association with another leper. And that's the way our lives are. We've inherited sin. For by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death is passed upon all men. For that all have sinned. That's Romans 5, verse 12, if you want it. And then we find that we're unclean. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, by the way, we'll have that later on, 
that uh, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. And then we find that, uh, that when we associate with other people that are unclean, we're going, it's, that's going to rub off on us too. Because the Bible tells us, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I believe that's 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, starting there in the whole passage. And it says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. So we find that that whole passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 14, I believe. Maybe it's 1 Corinthians. I better check that out. No, it is 2 Corinthians. Chapter 6 and verse 14 is where you start. But anyway, uh, leprosy could be received in those three ways. So we know we've inherited uncleanness. We know that uh, that we uh, can receive it by being unclean in our own lives. Sinfulness. And then we know that we can be contaminated with those that would lead us into uncleanness. Evil associations. And we've told, told you time and again to pass by those evil associations. Get with a new crowd. Get with a godly people. Because if you stay with the ungodly, you're going to find out you're going to be influenced in their direction. And you say, well, I may win them. You may, that's, you have less chance winning them than they have turning you back into sin because you've got the strikes against you. You still have the old nature and they don't have a new one. See, that's the difference. So you've got two strikes against you in the first place. And uh, I know that we're to witness to the lost. Don't misunderstand that part of it. But when you associate with them and say, well, I'll go out and I'll have a drink with them because while I'm there, I've witnessed them. No, you've earned your witness by doing that. You've already earned it. So they're not going to listen to you even if you rub shoulders with them. Uh, and so you better... Uh, try to walk the straight and narrow way, and then when you come in contact with them and you tell them about the Lord, and they may believe you. They'll come nearer believing you than they would otherwise. Alright, let's get back to this. So, all he could do was to communicate defilement. And it was impossible for him to cleanse himself, this leper. He could not make his way to God, but God could make his way to the leper. Isn't that something? Man in his sinfulness cannot make his way to God, but God can make his way to man. Now, who is it called? The Lord calls. He takes the first step. Remember we preached this morning on uh, Jesus saying, Come unto Me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. So He gives the call, and it's up to people to respond. Isaiah 1.18, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So, God is the one that takes the initiative. Who sought Adam when he was in the garden and had sinned? Was it Adam came running and said, God, where are you? No. God said, Adam, where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice and I was afraid and I hid myself among the trees of the garden. He said, what made you afraid? Have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat of? And of course, Adam then starts his excuses. 
He says, the woman that thou gavest me. He was not only blaming the woman, he was blaming God. He said, the woman that thou gavest me. It's kind of like the children of Israel, you know, they blame Moses, but they were really blaming God for his leadership. But see, we have this idea that we can pass the buck to someone else and make it their responsibility and their crime and their sin and their, their fall instead of our own. But everything has to do with us individually. My problem has to do with me and God. And yours the same. Isn't that, a, isn't that an amazing truth? But it's true. No one can do it for you. You do it between you and the Lord. You don't need a... When I preach this morning, uh, you don't need a mediator between you and Christ. He is our mediator between us and the Father. But there's no one that's a mediator between us and Christ. And I won't preach that again. You've already heard it this morning. Okay. Let's go on with this. One leper could not cleanse another leper, by the way. So that one man cannot uh, be the cleansing power or bloodshed for our sins except a perfect man. See, had there been a man on earth that could do that, Jesus wouldn't have had to come down from heaven. He could have remained up there and said, oh, you, you've already got someone down there that can take care of this business. But He couldn't remain in heaven because He was the only one in the whole universe that could come down and take on, upon Him the form of a servant being made in the likeness of men, man and humble Himself and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Because he was sinless. But one sinful man cannot atone for another sinful man. <clears throat> That's why he had to come. That's why he did come. Paul says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he said, Of whom I am chief. So we're talking about the leper now. The leper was not to go to the priest inside the camp. He was confined to the solitude. So where could he go? He was helpless in his defilement. What could he do? Before he could be pronounced clean, a work had to be wrought for him. A work uh, which had to come uh, from another. It could not come from within from himself. And before we could be made clean, we had to have the work of Christ for us. The leper was to stand still, and the priest did the work which perfectly cleansed the leper. He had to come and inspect him and carry on everything ceremonially that was to bring about his cleansing. And the priest was de depending upon divine intervention, even though he himself was active in the, in the uh, work he was doing. The priest accomplished it all, in a sense, humanly speaking. The leper did absolutely nothing. And then if you read verse 4 and 5, I'll just give you the verses, and we will not read them again, but we'll talk about the verses. And each time I come to the notes on the verses, verse 4 and 5. Now, Leviticus 14, and when I tell the verses, you look at those and also uh, think about the notes that I'll give you. The priest goes forth from the camp, and this is symbolical of Christ leaving the place of glory and coming into this world that's polluted uh, with sin. When the priest 
went forth out of the camp to the leper. It's symbolical of Christ coming out of the pure place of heaven's glory down to this earth among men. And that's what He did for us. Christ did not come half the way or nine-tenths of the way, but He came all the way from heaven's glory to this earth. said that He took upon Him the likeness of sinful flesh, but without sin in the flesh. He was like us, but without sin. And there must be more accomplished than just the incarnation. In other words, Jesus didn't just come down from heaven, and that was the end of it. It would have been to no avail to the leper if the priest had merely looked upon his condition, suppose Jesus had come down from heaven and said, Now, you know, I'm holy. I'm the Son of God. And He was. And we'd see Him in all of His holiness and said, I'm going to live, live a clean life before you, set the standard, and you have to do that in order to be saved. That wouldn't do us very much good, would it? We wouldn't be cleansed by that. Because we'd still be in our sins. But it took more than that. It took His death on the cross. And before the leper could be cleansed, there must be bloodshed. Remember, we pointed out the shedding of blood. That blood was very important. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9, verse 22, write it down. I'll give you a moment now because I see you're behind time. I'm looking around over the congregation and I see that several of you had just lost track of where your pen was. Okay. It says, almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no remission. And when the blood was shed, the way was open, and every barrier was removed for the leper to be cleansed. Now you speak in these verses that we gave you in Leviticus also. Remember, we're in verses 4 and 5. The cedar wood signifies the restoration of the leper to his strength and soundness. The scarlet signifies uh, the recovering of the bright, healthy color in contrast to its deathly white uh, of leprosy. In other words, this scarlet signified a change of, of uh, color and, uh, and his cleansing from the leprosy. And hyssop Hyssop signifies the removing of this disagreeable scent that uh, attends the leper. You know, I know many of you have been around cancerous patients and people. And I have in more ways than one. Not just recently, but before that. Even my sister, remember... Nancy, when she, when I'd take her to Roswell, she had cancer in her throat and in her, in this area of her throat. And I'd take her to Roswell for a, they call it a nuclear treatment or some kind of a pill that they would give her once ever so often. Really high powered, cost a hundred and something dollars in those days, cost a thousand and something nowadays. Probably. I'm just guessing. But anyway, to make the long story short, all the way down there, she would apologize to me for the way that cancer uh, would smell. And I'd say, 
I tell my dear sister, I said, don't worry about that. I said, we'll make it down there fine. But there's also a terrible, disagreeable scent with leprosy. And that was the only way I knew to give you the uh, comparison to at least show you something about it. Now, uh, hyssop signifies the removing of this disagreeable scent that's attended leprosy. There must be these must be dipped in blood. All this, this scarlet and hyssop and all this must be dipped in blood for all the operations of the Holy Spirit. Remember, they all symbolical of the Holy Spirit receives their power through the blood of Christ. We're saved by the redemptive blood of Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood. Now listen, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. You read on down and I think it's about verse 13. And it says, uh, Let's see if I can recall. It says, And you also, let's see if I can get it right. Well, I don't have it on my tongue. I've got too many scriptures in my mind, but I'll get started and then I can finish it. <laughs> Which is the earnest of our uh, inheritance until the redemption of the purchase procession. But that's verse 14. It says, In whom, okay, in whom you also trusted. After that, you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So you see, you heard the word of truth. It was the gospel of your salvation. Verse 7 says, redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And so when people hear that gospel of forgiveness of sins through the blood of Christ, and you trust in Him, it's the gospel of your salvation. And then it says, in whom also... After that you believed, or upon believing, immediately, then and there, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And verse 14 says, which is the earnest of our inheritance, or the guarantee of it, the security of it, until the redemption of the purchased procession under the praise of His glory. So, we find that um, there's a lot of things that we need to study. And these things in the Old Testament, the scarlet and the hyssop must be dipped in blood for all the operations of the Holy Spirit are, are receive their power and their uh, virtue through the shed blood of Christ. Now, the slain bird is a picture of Christ's death. It says, "...who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God." Hebrews 9.14 And the earth, earthen vessel is symbolical of the virgin birth of Christ. He was made of a woman. The earthen vessel is symbolical of the virgin birth of Christ. And the bird that was slain running over the water, that's when Christ would come into our soul and His shed blood is accepted. But also... The running water is symbol is a symbol of water that's unpolluted, and the water is typical of the Word of God. The Bible says the washing of water by the Word. I'm trying. I'm giving you a whole bunch of things at one time. 
And the blood of Christ would do us no good at all if it were not for the Word of God to tell us about it. How would you know about the blood of Christ had not the Bible told you about the blood of Christ? So what you have is that the Word of the Gospel, the message is given out, and the Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says how that, he said, I declare unto you the Gospel. What is it, Paul? How that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. There you have the blood. And then He was buried and He rose again the third day. You have the bird let loose in the field. Resurrection of Christ. So we have to have all of it to really receive the uh, blessings of God through His death and resurrection. So this, this uh, bird that was let loose is typical of Christ's resurrection. He's let loose the live bird into the open field. And by the way, that live bird could not be let loose into the field till the, until the death of its companion. Remember, there were two birds that, were, that made up the one sacrifice. And until that first one was killed, the other one was not let loose in the open field. Until Christ died, there could be no resurrection. So when Christ died on the cross and rose again the third day, that was symbolic. The bird let loose in the field was symbolical of Christ's resurrection. And by the way, Christ's resurrection is symbolical of your resurrection and mine. Not only spiritually, but in the future. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I believe it's verse 20, says, But now is Christ risen from the dead, listen carefully, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. So if He's the firstfruits, then afterward they that are Christ that is coming. That's when you and I will be resurrected, just like Christ was resurrected from the dead and promised. It says the firstfruits, and that's symbolical of a resurrection to come for all of us. When we study later of the first fruits, here in the book of Leviticus, you're going to find that the first fruits of the harvest were taken and weighed before the Lord. The priest would take the first ripe grain out of the field and wave it before the Lord. That's the first of it. And this was significant that afterward there would be a whole harvest in the field just like this one. And so Christ's resurrection being the first fruits is a guarantee that there's going to be a harvest of resurrections. And afterward, they that are Christ it is coming. So it's a promise of our resurrection. And you study 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and you'll get a whole lot of this down starting with at least verse 20. And by the way, I'll preach, I've already made up my mind I'm going to preach on that chapter this Easter Sunday uh, when it comes the time of the of the resurrection of Christ. Now don't get confused about Easter because it's just the time of the year that has to do with that period of time where Christ was resurrected. And we take advantage of that time because it is symbolical. Both his death and his resurrection. Did you know that when Jesus was crucified, the hours of the day were exactly like ours? even though they were Jewish time? Did you know that? At the time of the year, there would be 
hours of 60 minutes. Otherwise, the Jewish day was divided into to 12 hours of daylight. Well, you divide our time now, even as it's changed, into 12 hours of daylight and see what you get. And especially at a later time in the, in the year, you'd have it change. But at the time of Christ's death on the cross, the time was exactly, you can check it out when, they, when you talk about the, uh, uh, if I can think of it, resurrected, the changing of the equinox, the time, the spring equinox, you'll find that it's exactly that period of time that the hours are the same. That's why when it said the third hour of the day, it's nine o'clock in the morning. And it would be equal to our time, even though it was according to Jewish reckoning at that time. And high noon. And then three o'clock in the afternoon. Because that equals the same as the Passover time. So anyway, we won't go into all those details, but I just want you to know that uh, Christ's resurrection will be preached. And I'll use the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians because Paul says there, and I'm tempted to preach it ahead of time, uh, Paul said there, if Christ be not risen, you're yet in your sins. Our preaching is vain. Your faith is also vain. So the resurrection of Christ is very important to our faith. Because if He be... And it says, and they that are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. You have no hope of your loved ones rising if Christ be not risen. But we'll have a sermon on that later on if I can recap it. Now then, uh, there were 10,000 birds that were slain. And these would not cleanse lepers. It was the living bird mounting toward heaven, bearing upon its wings the blood of his companion that accomplished the atonement. It had to be the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to accomplish our atonement. We speak of the death of Christ. We know that's where His blood was shed. Think of it now for a moment. He was delivered for our offenses. But what? Is that it? He was raised for our justification. So apart from Christ's resurrection, we would yet be in our sins because He wouldn't be the person that He claimed to be. The resurrection was God's amen to His death on the cross. It was God's divine approval of what Jesus claimed that on the third day He shall rise again. And uh, so we have the uh, effect of both the death, burial, and resurrection makes the completion of the Gospel. The Gospel is not that Jesus died for our sins. But it's that He died for our sins and rose again the third day. When Paul said, I declare unto you the Gospel, he included both His death and His resurrection. And then he goes on to tell of His ascension. Back to the right hand of the Father. And uh, there he tells that uh, this ascension was also witnessed by so many witnesses. And uh, it tells about Him being seen of all of the ones that witness His resurrection and then...
the men of Galilee. He says, why are you standing gazing up into heaven? You remember the, in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, it says, the same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner. What does it mean? It means He was taken up literally, bodily, into heaven. And how is He going to come again? In some type or shadow or figure? No. He shall come again just as He went away. And that's what we're looking for. But at first, He will come in the air and there will be the rapture of the saints of all of His own will be taken up to be with Him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye saw not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, there's a death and resurrection, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain shall not prevent, that means to go before those which are asleep, in Paul goes on to say, For the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then he says, We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Not on the earth, but in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then, seven years of tribulation takes place upon this earth. From Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, all to Revelation chapter 19. And these seven years of terrible tribulation. And then finally, in Revelation 19, it says, He shall come as King of kings and Lord of lords, and the armies of heaven shall follow Him. He'll come on a white stallion. The armies of heaven. Who are the armies of heaven? You and I. All those that are dead and raptured, uh, and the dead in Christ that's raptured to heaven, and the living believers that are taken up to heaven, and we're with the Lord while all these terrible things are happening upon this earth, and then we're going to come back to this earth, and He shall rule and reign a thousand years. Then we go into the stage of eternal things. My, what a wonderful program God has lined out for us. 